Hello everybody, my name is Aryan. My name is Ali. And welcome to the next episode of So You Want To Be. We hope you're having an absolutely amazing day and we're thrilled that you can spend part of it with us. Sam Phillips is on this episode of So You Want To Be. He is an automotive and industrial solutions architect at Here Technologies with a background in manufacturing in the automotive industry. He began his career as an apprentice with Austin Rover as he has transitioned throughout his career as an engineer. He has also gained a diverse understanding of business. After completing his bachelor's in the United Kingdom, he came to North America where he was involved in a new automotive operation in Ontario, Canada. He then went on to complete a master's degree from Wayne State University. After previous experience with Chrysler and Ford, Sam now works at Here Technologies, and here is the number one location technology platform in the world. So Sam, if you can introduce yourself, that'd be much appreciated. Yeah, thanks, Harry. Thanks, Aaron. It's a pleasure to be with you today and spend a little bit of time. As you, as you said, my background has been predominantly automotive and uh, in the manufacturing sectors for these companies. Um, now getting on a little bit, I'm 57 years old, but I've been working since 1979. So you guys can, can figure out how long I've been in the industry. Um, and you know, again, as we, we talked a little bit beforehand, I had no clue when I started off on my career that I'd end up in this space of location services capabilities for the industry. So um, you can tell by my accent, I'm not American. My accent's got a little bit thin now because I've lived in the States since 1988. But born in England, uh, Aston Villa fan, for those that follow real football, because we play with a round ball and we kick it, we don't throw it. Um, big fan of cricket for the guys um, working in the Middle East and that kind of area. And uh, very heavy uh, background into sports as I grew up as a kid. But uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. Looking forward to some discussion with you and uh, give you some insights as I went through my career. Yeah, thanks so much for that, Sam. I guess my first question is, you just you just mentioned how uh, you didn't expect to end up in the locations industry. So when you when you were young, when you were like 18, 19, what was your original like career plan? What did you expect to happen? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Um, so let's go let's go back through the generations a little bit, back to the late uh, late nineteen seventies, early nine, uh, early eighties. Um, in England at the time. It was a very transformative time from, a, from an employment standpoint. Um, through political changes and things, that, you, know, you, don't, you don't really realize at the time what kind of they get infect and have an impact on you. But uh, it, work was pretty scarce coming out of school. And we had an opportunity that whether you were kind of at 16, you could leave school and try and find work. Or if you were very keen on academics, you could stay on for a higher level education and then go into university. But I never liked school. I was a terrible student. Um, I always, my report cards always said, if only he would try harder. Um, I loved my sports, you know, football, cricket, swimming. I was a big swimmer as a kid. But I never really liked the classroom. Um, and it kind of showed in my grades as I went through. So. I had a, an opportunity, and so it wasn't a, it wasn't so much a case of what do I want to do, it was what's available. And at the time, my company, British Leyland, or was renamed Austin Rover, um, when I joined them, offered apprenticeships. And 
these apprenticeships were for five years and you actually got an opportunity to really learn an industry. So automotive was pretty big. You know, I, I was 16 and didn't have a car, you know, none of this kind of thing. Uh, but it was a, it was a good world industry. And for some reason, I don't, I can't explain why, but I got uh, offered a position as an apprentice for this company. Um, and did not want to stay on at school, so I took it with both hands and did my apprenticeship for five years with them. And I'm so glad that I did because that kind of set me off to where I am now. It was, but it was with no means, no knowledge of what I really wanted to do. It was, let's get the apprenticeship under my belt. And then, you know, you just, you just kind of took it day by day. Am I going to be out of work? Am I going to be laid off? Um, is the company going to close? Which ultimately sadly did happen to this company. But that's what, we, that's what got me started. A clueless person coming out of school knowing he had to go to work, so he better take the opportunity that, that was put before him. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned location services, and I feel like some of the people don't know what they are. So if you could please define what location services is. I, I, I'll try and do it very simply because it, it, it changes, and you know, the current and the times and everything, what affects it. But location services, really, in my my description, and a lot of deep experts will probably disagree, but this is my take on it. Um, a good friend of mine, Mark Phillips, uh, we were talking about what we do because he works with me as well. He said, Sam, the reality is that everything moves. There is a flow to everything. And we traditionally think about location services as understanding where things are. Um, and then you ask the question, well, how do I get there? So you always take it on this kind of, personal context about me and, and finding things. So if you think about how this all started, it starts with maps, right? Cartography. And if you're fascinated about where things are and you get a globe out or you get a map out and you start looking at it, if you get that itch to say, well, how would I get there? Whether I walk over mountains or whether I can fly or whether I take a train or a bus or my own car, etc., my bicycle, you start to figure out how to get from one place to another. But in between that, you've got all kinds of things that can happen to you. You may deal with some weather, inclement weather that may affect you. You may be traveling through the countryside as opposed to, to cities. So then, you know, you get all these situations with one-way streets or speed limits or signs or and then you have in environmental or natural disaster events, you know, God forbid you get out there and you're cycling along and you get into an earthquake. And then what do you do? So location services is this collective that deals with all kinds of aspects and features that can impact movement. So there's the pure thing of A to B, but then it's everything to do with what can affect getting from A to B whether you want to optimize, whether you want the fastest time, whether you want the shortest route, um, what happens if a road is closed in an immediate context because there's been an accident, how do you have to deviate? So it includes all of those variables in terms of understanding location and the services is understanding all of the features and the attributes and variables that can have an impact on what you're trying to do. That, to me, is what location services is about. And then you add on top of that, okay, I've got these variables. I've started to understand all the factors. 
So how do I use them? How do I manipulate them? How do I apply math to them or logic for optimization, etc.? That to me is the big kind of location services construct, if you will. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think like even with this location services, you talk a lot like you, you talked a lot before about how you've went through a, like a career progression where you've, you've worked with a lot of different things. Um, I want to touch back quickly when you talked about your apprenticeship. You you've also um, went through school like you have a master's degree from Wayne State um, and, and then you, your bachelor's as well. What do you think has prepared you more for your, your career? Was it that apprenticeship or was it was it school? Oh, boy, what a question. Um, there, there is no clear answer to me, but I think what really helped me was the hands-on perspective. Um, as I, as I mentioned to you earlier, you know, I was not a good student. I, I just didn't apply myself and I found more value in terms of the hands-on approach, really knowing how to do things or more importantly, if I did something wrong, what impact it would have. Um, some, some very funny stories that we have time about uh, accidents that happened when I was in charge of paint shops and uh, I'm probably responsible for quite a few vehicles rusting on the streets right now that uh, if they're still running even this, this far on in my career. But for me, it's the practical context because I, I, I think when you come out of school, we're so full of theory and kind of the, the rawness of doing things in a theoretical way. But until you actually see the impact of it and it can work in that context, you don't, you don't really capture it. So as much as degrees and background and education is important, I think the more practical experience you can get helps you see a bigger picture of what goes on. And you have to experience it to really be able to apply your theoretical understanding as I said, I didn't have a clue I'd end up with this company at this stage of my career. Um, I went through being um, my undergrad mechanical production engineer, running paint shops, to providing chemicals to the automotive industry, to designing uh, engine components and assemblies and suspension systems using solid modeling design, um, to working in vehicle operations and then you know, developing software and methodology to develop and apply the build of vehicles. Um, so going from kind of a simulation environment, uh, you know, a modeling environment to the real world environment, and seeing how all these kind of things come together to, you know, coming through and working in supply chain and logistics and designing network strategies for moving vehicles on rail to how all this applies in the real world. If I didn't see it, I think my effectiveness and what I did um, would be so diminished as to could I read a book about it and can I apply mathematical formula to approaching things? Does that help? Does that kind of yeah, yeah? It, it no. definitely like tells us a lesson. Like you, if there's an opportunity, you have to be ready to take it. You know, because if you don't take it and you don't approach it correctly, you could lose that opportunity right away. And I feel like in your story, you picked that right opportunity and you went through with it. I think there's a lot of luck. Um, I honestly do. I mean, as, as much as we can see in our heads or think we've got a clear uh, notion of what we want to be when we grow up. And, and honestly, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. So 
I, I hope I never find it because it's the it's the journey and the curiosity that keeps me going. Um, but as a kid, you know, I was classic. I wanted to be a train driver. I wanted to be the guy sitting in the front of the engine driving the train to, wow, I've got a job. I'm so happy I've got a job. You know, and that was in my, you know, my late teen years, my early 20s to, well, what am I really going to do? Can I advance? You know, I don't want to be at the bottom rung. I want to kind of climb in my career. Um, you go through these phases, right? Um but my, I guess my message to everybody is don't be afraid of choice because you're going to be confronted with choices on this path and you shouldn't be afraid of them. Um, you should think about them. You should, should evaluate them, but never be afraid to make a decision because it will kind of create a little bit of a path on your long journey, but you're always going to have more choices as you go. So you can, you can deflect and sometimes a choice won't be the best choice but you've always got that chance to re-steer a little bit and redefine where you want to go. I've just never had a clear picture in my head of where I actually want to end up. Um, apart from, you know, I'm married. I'm very, I love my wife. I'm very happy. I have a dog, which is great. I have a house. And like I said, I'm nearing the time where we think of not so much about work, but you know, we don't live forever. What we really want to achieve in life and, you know, you don't get so hung up on what the priorities are. They change as you go through your life. But always always look at opportunities as a positive. Think about the decisions you're going to make because they're going to create a little bit of a, a path through life for you. And if it's not the path that you thought it was going to be and it doesn't come to fruition, make another decision and make and take another choice, right? Yeah, I, I like that a lot because I think it's it's something that a lot of people miss, especially like a lot of kids like like my age. Like, you, it's okay to change your mind. It's okay to be like, you know what? Like, I want to do something else. I want to take this other opportunity and, and make that those other decisions. Um, but it and, and it's it's more even more interesting to hear that even someone who's like progressed so far in their career still like it still has that same mentality. Like, I'm still willing to chase different opportunities. I, I'm not 100 percent sure where I want to go. But but I want to ask you. Was there a moment when you realized, okay, I do like engineering. I could see myself being an engineer for like the long run. Call me strange, but I really got a kick out of physics. I had a great teacher and his name was Doc Evans, but he was, uh, he was also a school soccer referee. So maybe that's why we got on so well. And math, I, you know, those are my subjects. Um, I, I shouldn't admit it, but as an Englishman, I failed English language. I failed English literature. Um, I love French, but I didn't do so well in my exams. So, you know, I got a kick out of doing French. But from the mechanical side of it, I think those things were kind of looking back, set me up. You, you know, that was the setup for going into industry. Um, and then to see going from being able to draw components on a draft board to getting involved in kind of the, the genesis of solid, solid modeling, use of FEA, finite element analysis, and structural analysis it's always been there for me but when i made my first company change after austin over to the chemical side i loved the interaction with customers so it, it was kind of a perfect job being a technical service sales person traveling working with customers on their site moving and i've been i've been so fortunate i've worked in a number of different countries in europe i came to the u.s when i was 25 and i've worked here and and around the Americas now for, for a long time in my career. 
Um, so that travel aspect always was there, but the foundation of the mechanical production degree, although I, I, I didn't know it at the time, it was a very valuable degree to me to open the opportunities. And like I said earlier, give me choice in career decisions that maybe weren't kind of straight line decisions. They were little diversions or little re-steers, if you will, to where I ended up. But that I think that was kind of the clue, but I just didn't know it at the time. I, I just loved those subjects of, of everything that I did at school. Those are the ones that came through for me. Mm -hmm. And uh, going back a little bit, so for people that are listening and maybe want to go on location services, what are some jobs in location services and what is like the scope? It's an incredible breadth of opportunity. Um, we have the classic sense where if you deal with navigation um, and you think, you know, let's, let's talk about vehicles. Obviously, everybody's interested about vehicles, but um, up until now, it's been about how you have information fed to a driver on navigation. So again, here is known as the predominant player for in-vehicle navigation. So when you go on in your vehicle and not sure what you drive, but if you've got a navigation system in there and you bring up the map and you start to bring up the restaurants and the POIs and you get, you get feeds about the conditions of the roads, whether they're traffic jams, et cetera, that's what we do. So if you, if you enjoy geography and maps and exploration, that's location services. Those are careers that you can head into. If you deal with, um, let's go to an extreme medical. If you're fascinated by anatomy or uh, how the body works, like I said, things flow. And knowing where in the anatomy things are, where there can be obstruction, you know, like, a, like a, a lane change in a car, if you go down from a dual carriageway to a single carriageway, think about your arteries in your heart. If you've got cholesterol and plaque in your you know, you've got to understand all this thing. So it's because everything's a big map. And you've got to figure out how you can represent information and apply information to those maps. So medical, supply chain, uh, logistics, 3PL, having your own kind of um, business for delivering food or delivering people. You see more and more of this with Grubhub and, and especially with COVID now, this kind of direct delivery context. Um, if you go into designing facilities, how do you move around a building? You know, what are, how do you give navigation to get into certain areas of a facility? If you're a first responder, an emergency response, how do you get to the people that are in a critical situation and how do you, for example, teleport them or medevac them to the hospitals? Do the hospitals have the right resources to effectively treat the patient when they get there? So location services in itself, if you understand, it's such a diverse realm. You're unhindered by having this background of understanding how things flow in terms of what direction you would like to take. Um, that's one of the beauties of this thing. And I think, again, I've only been involved in it with a, a true location services company for two years. But everything that I've done before, I've now realized that you've got this aspect of flow, how things come together, how they need to be separated, how you build things, how you move between things is all part of 
location services and their careers are, it's mindless, you know, it's not, well, not mindless, it's endless. Mindless is the wrong word. There's a lot of mind thought that goes into it. Yeah. It's, a, it's a very, very diverse area of business opportunity. So are you, are you working remote right now? I am working remote. I don't know if I'm on screen or not, but uh, because of COVID, we do a lot of work at home. Um, something else that's really nice with this kind of global business of location services um, and, the, and the technologies that we use these days, I can work from basically anywhere. Um, so uh, I have a home office. I live in Michigan, in Detroit, and we have a, a local office, branch office in Birmingham, in Detroit. But our American headquarters are in Chicago. So, you know, uh, before COVID hit, I was spending a lot of time going to Chicago. But again, with my job, I spend a lot of time with customers as well. So going on site with customers um, has been a fabulous thing. So um, the other aspect I love is travel. Um, it's one of my, my things that I like to do and travel and meeting different people and different cultures um, is a big aspect of this career for me as well. And again, just working with people and understanding pain points and problems and trying to help them, you know, resolve them and move forward is a big part of this. Yeah. So what does your, what does your day to day look like right now, especially cause you're, you're probably like for the most part remote and how do you think your day to day will look like when you might not have to be like a hundred percent remote? It's um, it's interesting because we're, we're a European company. Um, so I have, I've had to get used to getting up. I've just recently changed positions with the company as well. And a lot of the people that I interact with now are in uh, the Netherlands and Germany. So I've got a time difference of six hours between Detroit. So I find myself getting up much, much earlier in the days. Um, typically having meetings start around about 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning. So sorry for you people that like to stay in a little bit earlier in the morning. Um, but a lot of them are early morning. I have a lot of discussion with my internal uh, team members and peers and engineers and software developers about requirements that we're getting from the customers. So my activity is a lot of pre-sales. So it's, it's really understanding customer needs and requirements so that we can feed them back in and design solutions that are applicable to the different customers that we have in the dis different industries that we support. Um, a lot of interaction with customers, but again, everything is remote right now. I used to spend a lot of time on site, but a lot of things like this, um, video conferences, discussions with customers about their, their challenges and their opportunities where they want to apply location service capability to improve their businesses. It, I would say it starts to move from internal to morning meetings with customers to in the afternoons, a lot of thought and, and kind of work around what I've learned during the day and the weeks and assembling this information for feedback into my company um, to, to promote what we need to do to deliver quality and good value to the customers that we have and also speculate on other customers that we'd like to work with as well. So it's, there's no, it's no nine to five job. Some days can be incredibly busy and you'll be working 14, 15, 16 hours. Other days it can be, you know, I've got a few meetings to take care of and a few internal documents, but a much lower key. And I think the beauty of my company, they understand flexibility. 
um, incredible people, um, lovely people throughout the world that we work with, whether it's in the Americas or Europe or Asia Pacific, we all, we all have this understanding that it's quality of work. Um, quantity can go so far and it, you know, it looks like a lot of effort going in there, but it's the quality of what you do is, is more important. So there's no rigid kind of nine to five. Um, it's, it's what the job needs to do a quality job for the customers and the internal and external customers is the approach. Mm -hmm. I see that you have like a Wayne State uh, thing, like a plaque award yeah. or something. And my dad was telling me that you have like a project there. So what's what's up with that? And also tell me about your award. What's that all about? With my what? Sorry? The, the thing in the Sorry. back. What is the thing in the back? This plaque? Yeah, yes. What is it about? Well, it's actually, it was made for me by a, a dear friend, Mark Phillips. Um, again, no relation to me. But his son is a, also went to Wayne State. I did my master's at Wayne State. My wife did her master's at Wayne State. So we're, we're Wayne State through and through. Um, he put this together to recognize all the different parts of the school. So you see where we are on Woodward Avenue, the Tom Adams field, the DeRoy Auditorium, and it was just a nice birthday gesture. I think he put it together for me, knowing that I've, I've had so much involvement with Wayne State. Um, I am um, fortunate to be on the advisory board of the Industrial Engineering School there and working with some great uh, faculty and, and, and people there, which uh, kind of funny story, uh, Dr. Leslie Montplaisir um, was actually one of my teachers when I took my degree. <laughs> so... He remembers me and I remember him, I, I, I think fondly. We had a great time together. And he also went to school in Birmingham, my kind of home city back in England. So we have a lot of connectivity. So you see my Aston Villa information. He's actually been to Aston Villa and Villa Park and seen a few matches when he was in England. The work that I do as an advisory is really to help the school understand industry, what's going on. So we look at curriculums and what the right material is and how we should be forming education and what's going to be needed by companies going forward. Um, last year, I worked with Professor Kim, Joseph Kim, and what we call the Smart Manufacturing Development Center. So it is really a, a regional display case where we can do um, projects and research and also uh, bring companies and customers in to see new technologies and how it's being applied, not only from kind of networking and infrastructure, but actually hands-on applications. And then I was very fortunate to work with uh, Norman Hussain and uh, Ratna, Dr. Ratna Chinnam on what they call Industry X. And Industry X is a center of excellence really looking at a few things, how to work with customers and companies in kind of the more advanced technologies that we get the opportunity to work with as, a, as an academic facility because we have incredible research, we have incredible people there with great talented minds. And so we have this, this thread of activities and developing next generation competences, but hands-on working with companies to say, look, we, we have an opportunity to use this capability and this talent that we have at the school on projects. Um, we also promote different technologies. So we're also giving feedback to the companies on the utilization of things like augmented, augmented reality 
um, the whole perspective of industry 4.0 and a lot of companies, they know the term, but they don't really know how to apply it in industrial context. And now we have industry 5.0. So this is kind of the next generation with a lot of cobotics or uh, collaboration between humans and robots coming back into the modeling as well. So we have a wealth of talents and skills at the school where, as I said about the apprenticeship, it creates this environment where um, the next generation workforce can actually come to the table with these companies, start working with them before, an, before employment, but really understand hands-on the types of problems and challenges and opportunities that are going to come in the next generation of industry and, and workforce as we move forward. Mm -hmm. So that's the activities that I'm doing with Wayne State currently. Yes. Pretty amazing. It's yeah. awesome that you're working with like developing curriculums and help progress the school. So what are like the mantras when you're working with like the with the, the leaders at the school? Like where are you guys trying to uh, I guess bring that curriculum? Like the world is obviously changing, right? And so education needs to be changed with it. How do you see how how do you see the education needing to change to be able to keep up with the with the changing world? Yeah, I think this this kind of goes back to your early questions about what you know what I wanted to be when I grow up. Um, there's more and more pressure on on students and, and people coming into the workforce to produce straight away, um, and it's understandable from a, from a few areas, right? Companies will make investment in people if they see a return, and it's very different to when I started. You know, you, you came out of school thinking. I'm going to work for 30 years for the same company. But it's not the case anymore. So companies really look at this with more hunger and saying, if you're going to come and work for me, you need to produce straight away. What we need to do to help students and even K-12 going back into the middle schools and the high schools is get better awareness of what is going on in an industrial or a business context. So we're even reaching back to the high schools and middle schools and saying, let's get more involved in practical application, right? So if you're interested in robots, what, what does industry and business actually do with robots? It's not, they're not just there to make and play with, they actually function for productivity, profitability, um, optimized usage, whether it's health and safety, um, these kind of things. So the whole mantra that we've got is to advance the practical acumen of people into a younger, uh, a younger set so they can get more awareness and be ready to come in and contribute as soon as the company decides to start paying you. The, the mindset has gone from my days of an apprenticeship where they would invest in you and teach you to, no, you need to be ready to work straight away. So that's what we've got to address. And there's this whole kind of crossover between information technology and operational technology and how they come together. These are some of the key areas that we've got to bring home. Um, I think, unfortunately, but it's the reality that we have to bring home earlier into people so they understand when they do join the workforce that they can be productive and contribute straight away. Mm -hmm. And so coming down to like the last question, so do you think in the future, well, I think maybe in the next 50 years, there'll be like self-driving cars that you'll provide location services to? 
Absolutely. And in fact, we're doing it today. So um, you, you've seen a lot of the announcements that come out about automated fleets, what they call autom or autonomous driving, or as you, as you said, to put it simply, no humans driving these vehicles. Um, for quite a long while in, in different areas, even in rail, um, if you go to a, 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 an engine yard where they're shunting rail cars around and mixing trains, they've had these radio controls. So these are actually proper engines, big size engines, but you have people on the ground with a little remote control. What has to happen is that we, we have to understand now, and it's, it is happening today, that it's no longer the human is the interaction with the vehicle. It's all the control systems and the computers and the information. So we have this area called life sense. So the vehicles are plastered with sensors now, whether it's cameras, um, ultrasonics, vibration, etc. All these sensors are creating information that can then go in to make decisions about what the vehicle has to do. Because God forbid an autonomous vehicle kills somebody. And unfortunately, we've had these situations. Um, but we do it today. And this is all part of location services. It's, you, you've got to think a little bit differently to it's not an interacting with another person through a vehicle. A vehicle to a vehicle has to communicate or a vehicle to a sign or a traffic light um, or it has to react in real time. So this, this is happening today. So it's not five years, it's not 50 years. We're actually in that situation now, and we have a lot of companies that are doing this, these road tests. Um, we see it with some of these emerging electronic vehicle companies, but even all the uh, the mainstream OEMs, the Fords, the GMs, the Stellantis now, this FCA, Peugeot combination, they're active, and these are great career paths as well. So you realize, going back, location services is not just about me figuring out where to go in a factory or a plant or how to build something. It's this machine to machine intelligence that really is happening now. So you and I can just sit in the backseat of the car and drink a cocktail and not worry about steering or any drink driving because the car is going to do it for us. 100%. I think that's, it's, it's a really interesting progression that I, that I like, Ali said it is happening right now. Like, especially with like the integrations, like right now, even Tesla has inside of, of their basic their basic uh, cars, but um, I, I remember I, I visited San Francisco and, and this company Waymo had cars everywhere, just like literally everywhere you looked, they had these white cars with sensors on top, just driving around. I thought it was really cool how maybe you don't see it in Detroit as much, but like you travel a little bit and you notice like how deep into this integration we really are. Mm -hmm. It's funny. It's it's like you think uh, until you start looking for it or realize what they are, you don't notice them. But we have fleets of cars, true car, they're called true cars. So they have what you see on the vehicles are LIDAR systems. So they're scanning, 360 degree scanning as the vehicle moves to capture. And this is location services, all these attributes and features about buildings and roads and signage and conditions. Even now we monitor potholes. So as we're driving along, we're looking at the road surfaces, structures, and if there are potholes, et cetera, because all this information is valuable. And so we're in this, this data-rich environment. What we struggle with is figuring out what to do with it. Now we're capturing more and more of it. We still got this problem about figuring out, one, what to do with it, but two, how to process it effectively in the time that we need to make a decision. Mm -hmm. Think about the milliseconds that you have to make a decision of, 
am I going to swerve? Or is the vehicle going to swerve to miss somebody? Or is it going to stop? Or what's going to affect this vehicle? So this is why technology like 5G is so important. It's, it's, it's a little bit about speed, but it's also about the bandwidth and the amount of information you can transfer and communicate at the same time. So this is all emerging and very important as you look at careers in location services. Mm -hmm. No, thank you. Great, great talk with you. Thank you for the insights. It's also very interesting how you went from not liking school and classes and this kind of things to actually being in the process of restructuring education systems. And I feel like that's so that's so valuable for us. Yeah. No, love talking to you. Thank you so much for joining us, Sam. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you, guys. Good luck in your careers. Appreciate it. And, and to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you have a great rest of your day. This was So You Want to Be.